0: Welcome to the Western North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I'm Caleb, and I'm Tim. Tim, how goes it this fine, warm evening in Washington?
1: You know, it's 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 hot uh, where I'm. I'm. I'm hoping the sweat beads aren't showing through on the uh, the video here. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a little warm. I'm definitely going to need some refreshments. How about you? How are you doing?
0: I'm I'm doing all right. I'm luckily in the basement, so it's cooler than it is upstairs. Lucky. Um, but I, I, for all our non-Washingtonian listeners I have to explain that it's like 80 degrees today which for the rest much of the rest of the country is not that big a deal but for us here we are wusses and, and at, <laughs> at most we might see this warm weather like two months out of the year
1: yeah I mean anytime he goes above 75 I'm starting to complain and sweat So
0: <laughs> yeah, we really and it's it's and maybe it's global warming. Maybe it's just some, this the year La Nina or something. But uh, we usually don't see this warm weather until after Fourth of July. Like June's <laughs> pretty gloomy and kind of muggy at worst. But yeah, it's it's never outright hot in June like this for very long. But it's hitting yeah. early and and a little bit longer than I expect.
1: I know. I think both of us have seen sun today too. So. <laughs> Yes,
0: it's real sunshine. It's not the fake uh, cloudy skies version that we usually
1: get. And you're going to go camping on the east side of the mountains uh, ne- this next weekend. So that's going to be a. Uh, it exciting. seems like a mistake now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, uh, you know, t- tents are perfectly made for this sort of weather. You get the extreme heat in the tent and then you get the extreme cold in the tent. So, you know, yeah. nowhere you want to be but inside a tent. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's uh, let's crack open some drinks here and get this this ball rolling. I've I've got something different this week. Oh, what do you I, got? I finally went exploring and got something. I, I this mainly was a can decision. I definitely oh. judged this book by the cover. I do love that, <laughs> but it's I I don't even know if you're going to be able to see the art on this. Uh, this is the Rogue Colossal Claude. And it's got a badass dragon on there. Oh,
1: that's pretty rad.
0: So, you know, for all of you just listening to the podcast, this is your reason for watching the YouTube version. So you can actually see our lovely beer art.
1: <laughs> see badass dragons.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a Imperial IPA as well. So it's right up my alley anyway.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's your, uh, true form. And that's a lovely sound that crack. Isn't it?
0: Oh, I love this too. They have a, a star on the back. And it's a lot like a soccer thing where you've got the different attributes and it's shaded towards whatever the beer tastes like.
1: Oh, it was a little hard to read. What is it shaded towards on uh, so uh, our it, videos? Hard to,
0: see, hard to see on our video, maybe. But we've got tropical a little bit, but it's mm-hmm. mostly citrus and pine. Ooh, I do like a little With a little, little bit of bitter, but very little malt. So those uh, are the five points of the star here.
1: Yeah. I wonder if that's an official thing. I don't know if there's, <laughs> if there's only five flavors of beer and you have to imagine. go in there, but
0: yeah. How is it? Oh, this is,
1: this is different. Hmm. It's actually pretty good. <laughs> I like how surprised you are by that. It's actually well, pretty good.
0: I, okay. So we, we drink a lot of IPAs on, well, I do. I drink a lot of IPAs hmm. You You branch out a little bit more, but, um, it seems like recently a lot of IPAs have been of the uh, fruity, hazy variety, and this leans away from that and goes a little bit more hot forward, a little more bitter, not at all fruity, which I like as like an alternative to what the current trend is right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've never actually been a fan of hazy IPAs. I know that's being counter to like what's cool with the kids these days, but at... Like, I'm just old and I'm like, if I want an IPA, I want to definitely like a piney, very like tastes like the Northwest. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to drink a tree. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm all for the pineiness. Uh, this is, this is pi- piney and, uh, I definitely taste the, the citrus and the bitter, yeah. um, less, less the tropical. I, it says tropical on here, but by comparing to other, uh, like the Tropic Haze IPA is a very, uh. Uh, textbook hazy. And I like yeah. that one a lot, but it's very tropical. Um, <laughs> so
1: this is the opposite of that. Yeah. So it, the star is kind of right, but not fully correct.
0: Yeah. It's uh, you know, 75 IBU and 8.8.2%. Mm-hmm. 8 8. So Ooh, there's the Imperial part of it. <laughs> that's, that's my sweet spot. That's a session beer. <laughs> yeah, <Jesus. laughs> not for me, my friend, Co- you know, compared to some of the, uh, Barley wine type drinks I was having a couple of weeks ago, or at least some of these more eight barrel aged things. This is, this is on the light end of the scale.
1: Yeah. I have a, another beer that's in the fridge that I didn't pull out because it is an interesting beer, but I, I may pull it out next week. I'll, I'll save a can for it so I can talk about it for next week. That is okay. A, we can have right. an interesting discussion.
0: All right. I got, I, now that I can go to the store more and be, be on the lookout for good beers, I'm going to try to change it up more. We'll see how it goes. I got to not get in these ruts. <laughs> what do you have this week?
1: Well, I've got like a, a oh, I've got a beer that I just spilled <laughs> on my computer and hopefully oh. we're not going to show it I think it'll be okay. It's not the first okay. time a beer has been on, spilled on this computer. So I've got a <laughs> Freem IPA. Freem is a nice Seattle brewery, has a bear on it and it's just their basic IPA. This is not my first time with this beer, but I think it's the first time on the show with this beer, and I like it. As I said, it's a very northwesty, piney, just straightforward IPA.
0: Can you can you show off that uh, that bear? We really got to taunt the uh, the audio only listeners here.
1: Yeah, it's a nice. And the beer on oh, it's amazing. Yes. Have you made it out to Freem yet? And I have not. On, yeah, it's a it's a nice little beer brewery, so I recommend heading out there. Oh wow, this is generally a little higher than I go, which is six point eight. Uh, yeah. All right. Packs a little bit. It packs a punch for me. <laughs> one,
0: a one and done for you? No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the, you know, we we like mixing up the beer, but I do, do want to say since we're it, we're reaching what I would consider the slow the slower part of the year for us on the podcast, we'd love to get your beer recommendations. Oh yeah. You know, write in beer questions. We can expand the beer section all you want. If you're interested, send us the notes. Let us know what you like, what you want to hear in this this area of the show.
1: Yeah, definitely. If uh, if you have a good beer recommendation, put it in the uh, the questions part of Facebook, Gmail, all the ways you can contact us. And I will go out of my way to try and find it. And I have a pretty good bottle shop up here that gets most of the. If it if it's from the northwest, I can get it pretty much. So yeah, that's the uh, yeah. caveat.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so if you want to hear us review a beer that you like or, you know, just recommend something that you really think we'd like, that would be awesome and we'd love to get more user, user, <laughs> listener
1: input. Uh, Anyway, so
0: let's move on to Tim's
1: bit. Yeah, so my Tim's bit is uh, food-related this time, which kind of makes sense with the Tim's bit. I just was kind of thinking about it as I was cooking dinner before the podcast today, and I was just wondering, if Arsenal were a meal... How would you describe Arsenal? What, what, what type of meal would it be? What it would what you know? What flavors would it have? Would it be a three course meal? Would it just be a simple pot noodle? Like what's what? How would you describe Arsenal as a meal?
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's tough. Hmm. They're like a dish that has gone cold. <laughs> Like something that you would eat that would be great if it was hot, but it's kind of just okay when it's lukewarm.
1: Yeah, it's like, like melting
0: just, ice cream or something. Oh,
1: <laughs> melted ice cream, <laughs> sweet to the taste. It was good once, and now is uh, just kind of mushy. Still good. <laughs> I mean, still edible.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a, a shadow of its former self.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's like a, if you've ever been late for dinner or late home for dinner, you've been caught up in something, and you get home and uh. Your significant other roommate or whoever's uh, cooked dinner and just kind of left it out and it's it's there it's and you can you know it's like the ghost of a meal
0: yeah like i i, I love hot pizza i re- i love cold pizza but somewhere in the middle there's kind of a, just an okay pizza
1: <laughs> oh totally Okay, pizza. I think I that would make a great shirt for Arsenal. Arsenal. Okay, pizza. (laughs) Just okay, pizza. Uh, Or at least this last. Somebody wants to
0: design the okay pizza t-shirt and somehow tie that
1: into Arsenal. If someone sends us a design, I will literally make shirts for it. So yes, I'm into it. Yeah.
0: All right, so okay pizza is <laughs> the answer to that question.
1: Yeah, I don't think I can improve on that. I, yeah. <laughs> I think we got the show title too.
0: <laughs> yep, no, no doubt. All right, what what do you think?
1: I mean, can you outdo okay yeah. pizza? No, I, I can't outdo. I'm I'm just going to move on because like I think that is the perfect answer. All right, well, with that,
0: then let's let's get into the the episode for the week um so we spent last week talking about our, our final two games and talked a little bit about how the season ended and um this week we wanted to devote our time to kind of just wrapping up our overall thoughts and feelings after the season's over um talk about where that has left us and where where we go from here a little bit and we don't want to get too far into transfers or anything like that this week. Um, the transfer window opens next Wednesday, so the next episode we'll maybe get into that if uh, some some rumors start swirling that seem like there's some credibility. Because I know Tim, for one, is is not <laughs> for these rumors that uh, aren't real because there's no pen to paper yet. So.
1: Exactly. My heart's been broken far too many times. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I, I know where Tim stands on that, but we will get to your, your, um, transfer rumors and news next week and try to talk about it in a very sensible way because it can get very out of control. But <laughs> I, I think we'll have a good idea of where the team is going or, or at least, uh, some idea of some of the options out there for us, uh, a little bit closer to the transfer window. So hold on to those thoughts this week. Let's look back before we get going, looking forward too much. <laughs> um. So I, I don't, I, I was looking at the, the form of Arsenal, the uh, performance chart that transfer Mark, Mark has. Um, and it's, it's pretty much as I remember it. Um, <laughs> I think it's, pretty pretty clear that it was uh all downhill until boxing day and then it it only we were only able to get up to the okay pizza level um <laughs> so it's uh it, it left a lot to be desired i think we we can all agree on that um there was about as much bad as there was good and that's maybe a little uh a little gracious, a little bit giving the giving the team the benefit of the doubt, um, because I I, I could understand why there are some harsh critics when it comes to the way Arsenal is has been for the past few seasons. Um, where, where does it leave you? What, what what does it leave you feeling at the end of the
1: season? Well, when I was thinking about this question throughout the week, I I, I thought back to our there. Are, Beginning of the season podcast, where we kind of asked, like, what were our minimum goals for uh, Arsenal? And the quick answer is our, my minimum goal, I think I stated, was absolute minimum uh, qualifying for the Europa League and uh, fighting for spots in the Champions League. That was just kind of like my minimum base of a good season. Mm-hmm. Not a great season, but, a, or not even a good season. I think it was an acceptable season. Good season would be making the uh, Champions League, and a great season would be winning, obviously. But seeing as we didn't even make the bare requirements of a passable season, I can't look back with a, anything without a little bit of disappointment in this last mm-hmm. season. And I think that's not to say that there isn't positive things and, you know, both you and I like to, to to look at the glass full side of things as opposed to glass empty. But I mean that, that after the first couple of games that run until boxing day was just dreadful and just unacceptable in a lot of ways. And I think that's, that's where the regrets are in the season. I think. I think if you could have ground out a couple points when we were going through that bad time, we would have a a better season. We would have finished ahead of uh, Tottenham, for example. We would have uh, maybe. We would have definitely made a Europa League. I think if we just squeezed out a couple more points, like it's. So yeah, I, I mean, the quick answer is it's a disappointing season and not something I'm like terribly proud of, and will probably not really remember the season with fondness. I'm
0: just gonna read out the. Um, scores of the games up until the Chelsea game, which I think everybody agrees is the the turning point for our season. Um, but just to give you an idea of kind of what led to that poor run of form at the beginning of the year, um, you know, things started out just peachy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> beating beating Fulham three zero, I think, left everybody feeling pretty optimistic about the season, even about William. Yeah, I was just going to say,
1: wasn't that William's like only good game?
0: <laughs> he peaked right there. Right at the beginning. Um, and followed that up with a a win against West Ham, which looking back at how West Ham did this year, that's a good win. Uh, Losing Liverpool pretty early in the season. I don't think anybody's too surprised about that. Three to one on that game.
1: I remember that game.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But following it up with a win against Sheffield, uh, then losing one zero to Man City. So we've lost to Liverpool. We've lost to Man City. Okay, I guess if you are going to lose lose games, those are the ones maybe you you can take a loss on. Then following that up with a loss to Leicester, and I think that was the one that really when things felt like it was getting going from bad to worse. Like it it's okay to lose to Liverpool. It's okay to lose to Chelsea. Or to excuse me to Man City, it's never okay to lose to Chelsea, but it happens. Um, <laughs> but you know, going going up against Leicester, I think that was a that was a winnable game, and Arsenal got caught sleeping. Like they did not show up and, and do what needed to be done to see that game out and, and let them get that typical Leicester City goal. I mean, that was it was it was on the counter. It was, I believe later in the game on that one. I, I'm trying to recall that, that specific one, but I, it, I I believe that was a later goal. But, you know, it was one of those ones, it was like, it, it just, it felt like it was winnable, it felt like Arsenal were in it, and it got taken away. And it was very frustrating. And then to follow that up, we end up beating Man, Manchester United next week. <laughs> Lots of ups and, ups and downs. It was very hard to feel confident and uh steady by any means but at that point we're sitting in 10th place middle of the table not the
1: worst sounds familiar
0: yeah uh and then lose to villa 3-0
1: and it's and and i think that i think that game that game i we felt worse at the time than it what it was which is villa ended up being a you know mid-table team which is I mean, previous seasons, they had been fighting off relegation. Mm-hmm. But even with them being a mid-table table team, we shouldn't lose it to them 3-0 at all.
0: Yeah, so that's rough. Um, draw at leads. And then I think this was the game that I caught, um, or maybe not this game. Actually, I think it was the second time we played Wolves. But lost, lost to the... Uh, lost to Wolves 2 1. Um, lost t- to Tottenham the game after that. Uh, lost
1: to Burnley. That's another. Thank- I remember that game too. And that was <laughs> just, and that was that time when we were just weren't scoring goals. Right.
0: This is a 1 0 loss to Burnley. We're now sitting in 15th place. Um and really wouldn't get out of that until we, the Chelsea turnaround. Uh, tie with Southampton, uh, lost to Everton, and then out of the blue, a 3-1 win against Chelsea. And Emile Smith-Rowe starts that game, and I think everybody will tell you that is the, the turning point of, of the season because the next week we're moving up again, getting into 13th. But there's a f- five-game stretch there where Arsenal were hovering around the relegation uh, zone. And, and I think there was major concerns that they would get worse before they got better. But luckily, it never dipped below that point. But I, I, I think that was... It was a gut check for everybody on the team. It was a gut check for the fans. It was a difficult time to see where things were going to go. Whether this should have been the end for Arteta, I think there was concern that you know his time had run out in the hol- in the um, the busy holiday season. It didn't look like he had the team with him, and it, it it's hard to it's, it's it, it was hard to see the optimistic side of things at that point
1: yeah and I, and I was, I can't wait to go to the positive side, which is going to be the second half of the season. I think we'll we can spend <laughs> some time there, but still dwelling in this misery, what do you think went wrong during that period? what what, what, what was it that uh, was just not working? Because it's not just personnel at that point. when you're When you're losing to Burnley One nil, we have a better team than Burnley, and I don't mean I, I'm hoping I'm not too patronizing to any Burnley fans listening, but we are a better team than Burnley on paper and i think they would admit it so what was it why why couldn't we beat those burnleys why couldn't we do those games
0: that's it's a tough it's a tough question um i think if it was easy then it would have been sorted out and it wouldn't have happened <laughs> um but it, i think it is it was a mix of mentality like i think that there was um a lack of belief there was a lack of confidence i think confidence was a thing that was Missing in this team, especially when you're talking about scoring goals, you have to have confident players. Um, you know, Aubameyang has not lit up the season. And I think coming off of last year where they were so reliant on him to make things happen from almost nothing. Um, it was like they were out of good ideas from the beginning, or at least the ideas that Arteta was trying to convey eluded them to the point where it seemed like they were struggling to do the basic things. Um, but, you know, looking at how this uh, rest of the season went, the things that, you know, you would, I think the creativity and the goal scoring are still issues, but defensively the team figured things out. So I, I will give them that, like at least on that side of the ball, they they were solid through the latter half of the season and, and weren't like, getting blown out of the water by teams for the most part and and really ended well as far as that goes. But throughout this whole season, I think just figuring out the way to um, move the ball into quality space and and get pl- the players that do score and do create, getting them into the right spots on the field has been a challenge. Um, and then, yeah, I think finding how to best use Aubameyang, how to best use Lacazette. It, it never seemed like it clicked throughout the season. Never, like One of them would be doing good and then the other, but never really getting this team going as far as goal scoring goes. And we relied pretty pretty much entirely on Lacazette, Aubameyang, and Pepe to score our goals. So if, if none of them are doing it, which was a problem, that's... Where do you go? There, there really wasn't another place to look to.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it was. It, it's very important to note that Yang just didn't have a good season this season, and I think we were very lucky that he had a good season last season. And we were so reliant on his goals, and that I think motivated us to give him that big contract was the fact of how dependent we were on uh, on Yang to 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 score goals, and I think we. S- now I've seen a season where if he's not doing that, we don't have a lot of, other, or especially in that early part of the season, we didn't have a lot of options. I think we started towards the end of the season, figuring out ways to score. And, and you know, as you said, with those three, Pepe at least started, uh, <laughs> started playing by the end of the, uh, by the end of the season, scoring goals. Mm-hmm. But I think just not, not being able to create and score goals, which sounds, Silly as an observation, because obviously you have to score goals to win games. But uh, not being able to do that was our biggest Achilles' heels. I mean, you know, losing to Burnley one 0 I don't begrudge, begrudge a goal on the defense if it's just one goal.
0: I, that should that shouldn't kill the team, now, right? Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I think for 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 me and and for a lot of people who who fell in love with Arsenal a decade or more ago, we have seen what Arsenal has been, what they could be, what they arguably should be as far as the style of play, the, um, the technical ability, the goal scoring that they ca- should be doing on a regular basis. And we've seen that steadily decline since Wenger left. Um, you know, I think, uh, Emery had a, a decent goal-scoring season, I think his first first season out, um, but was it really just awful as far as goal differential and, and <laughs> being a leaky sieve on the other end? So um, it was all the goal-scoring in the world doesn't doesn't work unless you have a solid defense. That said, I think Arteta definitely has f- fixed that part of Arsenal's game, but the quality of player that we have is way off from the the legends. <laughs> even the players we had like five, six years ago, I think there was more technical quality even in some of our second and third choice players than some of our first choice players right now. And that's not to say we have bad players. They're just not necessarily Arsenal players. We we kind of just got players to fill in ho- areas of need without really considering what is Arsenal trying to be. And I think that has been a problem since Wenger left. He had a very clear view of what Arsenal was and should be and the types of players that would work with what he wanted to do. And he was able to go out and recruit fairly well. I mean, I think everybody would say there's questionable signings under under him, but it's been even worse since I mean I'd be grateful for some questionable banger <laughs> settings right now. Um
1: I mean we should, we, I, I, we should get some more midfielders, right? Yeah, I'd rather
0: be stacked in midfield <laughs> like we were. Uh because that's that's really the, the the engine room. You know, I think that he had that right in that you need the t- the way to drive this team forward, the way to open things up on both ends was to have a strong midfield that can control games. That has not been the case for a while. And and it seems to be um, a balance that we're trying to figure out. You've got party in there now. And I think that his signing was important in, in just admitting that that was an area of need and, and spending money on it. That's important. Whether he's the right guy is to be seen. I think he's, he's had a, a a little bit of a rough go. I wouldn't say he's been bad, but I wouldn't say we've seen the best of party, but I think we've, we, we identified an issue and went out and tried to fix it. And I think that is an important, um, bellwether of where we are and where we're going. And I hope that that continues in, in identifying areas of need and, and figuring it out and and making the moves that need to be made.
1: Well, I mean, sticking with party, that's interesting that you bring it up because I I tend to actually stay away a lot from like, I don't know, Twitter and like general Arsenal fandom as a whole. I Mm -hmm. stick to kind of like a few trusted sources and what I see with my own eyes type of thing, especially before a podcast. And my, my opinion of the party was like, he was fine. He was great. He was all right. Like, and I, I was, he was definitely on my plus side of, of uh, things from the Arsenal season. Something I, um, I think he played better than he played bad. He had that injury spell and I think uh, he had one really bad game that I can remember. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. But uh, but other than that, I thought he was all right. But then I've I've been seeing this randomly, this undercurrent of people talking about him not having a good season or being a disappointment as a signing. And I'm just wondering where do you where where does that come from for you? Like do you think that's a fair assessment? Like I am I just crazy.
0: No, I I think that that narrative has definitely cropped up um, in the tail end of this season. And I think it was people were willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. He was a big signing. He was somebody that everybody thought could come in and kind of right the midfield ship. Um, But I I, I don't I don't really blame him for the shortcomings of the team. You know, I, I. he definitely looked a little rougher at the latter half of the season than I expected him to. He came in and I was very impressed with his calmness on the ball. I thought he paired with Jaka fairly well. I mean, we had what we had as far as the midfield, and Jaka was the obvious partner to him as far as what they, um, you know, given the other options, it was. Elmeni didn't seem to work. Ceballos didn't seem to work. It was clear Xhaka was the best player we had available, and and they, they worked fine together. Um, but I think some of the shine wore off with a lot of um, unforced errors, uh, some stray passes, uh, some questionable shot choices, <laughs>
1: that things
0: was- that... Um, Maybe just ch- yeah, just took the shine off of him a little bit. But I think it's always when you have a new signing, you 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 have these very high expectations that you kind of develop in your head of like, you know, you look at the highlight reels of a player, and that's what you have in your mind about what this player is going to be for your team. But those highlight reels really cut out all those straight passes, all those wild shots, and so you get left with their their best of the best. And so I think a lot of people are just coming down to earth on him and saying, oh, he's not going to be the one man fix for the midfield.
1: I mean, and for me, it's 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 just kind of crazy because I think there's very few players in the world that are one man fix and that I was excited to, to get him as a player. But I mean let's be honest, like Messi's, the Ronaldo's, the, the, those are players that w- can come in as a single player and just completely change the the outlook of a team. And we'll see it a lot when we watch MLS games because of that's the quality of players that we have. We have a general base level of players and when, when these very higher level players comes into a team, they can completely reshape it. But that's not how it works in Arsenal. And so, I don't know, I think, I worry that uh, the fans and we as fans can get a little bit too quick to start judging and then start throwing these labels and putting people into binary. This player is great. This player is bad. And that's just kind of all there is as a player, you know,
0: I think the other, the other narrative to come out of this season is the idea that we need to trust Arteta's process and that things will work out right in the long run. Um and I think through the difficult part of the season, it was difficult to to see where the process was going um you know you, you could chalk it up to intangibles like all oh, that they've fixed the culture they're starting to turn some players over um and there's been some you know there's been some things said that there were some some Toxic players in the locker room for the first part of the season, and the, and Arteta has said in his many words that the the those issues have been taken care of, and I think you can read the between the lines and figure out which which players you know with the players that did did leave who might be the culprits as far as the um, disruptions in the locker room, but the uh, I, I think like. The the process is is all encompassing and 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 it is long term. I, I I think that's the thing we keep coming coming back to on this podcast. Um, in that maybe people look at the the Chelsea situation and think, well, look what they're doing. Why do we have to wait so long? They just flip a switch and all of a sudden they're they're winning the Champions League. They they get a new coach mid season and all of a sudden everything's working out fine. Why can't we just Fire Arteta and get those same sort of results.
1: Did you see their transfer bill from last year? <laughs> right, like, that's the
0: answer. And that's what I, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at is like the the process. It doesn't happen overnight. No matter what coach you have, we have the players that we have, and it's very clear to me. You know, just thinking about the players that we we've had in the past versus the team that we have now, and we've had some pretty. Crap teams over the years like there Were periods where it's like Oof, that lineup Is is just awful like back When we had Shamak and
1: some of their players. It's just... God, I forgot about him
0: Yeah so there's been Some real crap Teams but I think like Overall the the level Of expectation and, and we Were making the Champions League but I think Right now We have to look at the the playing field And say okay well everybody else figured Out a lot of things and the, the revolution is not going to happen overnight. The, the way to get back to that level is, is not one transfer window. It is not one player. It is going to be a lot of trial in there to get the mix right and to get the, the team moving in the right direction. So this idea that we would go out and pick up a party or somebody else and all of a sudden the the team is fixed and they just slot in and everybody starts clicking it just doesn't work that way and I think the same can be said for a coach you can't just slot in a new coach and expect everything to just click especially when things have you know when you've had a coach that is very different I think you could look at Emery and Arteta and think this these guys have very little in common with how how they're trying to approach the game and how they communicate and what they want to do um, overall. And so I think the course, the course correction correction for a team this big is like steering a ship. You know, it's you're turning by degrees over a long period of time to get to where you want to go to start pointing in the right direction. So it's been, just little little things over time, but there. This sport is not one for um, impatient people. It just, it, people seem to want instant results, and I just, it, it doesn't really work that way for most teams.
1: And I think I think you you run a danger if you get too impatient and you start firing coaches, you start doing that death spiral that I've seen so many different clubs get into, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, really you have to look at like the bigger issues. I mean, I think the, one of the big things I think we have to accept as fans uh, of Arsenal is that the premier league has fundamentally changed since, you know, our heyday, Mm -hmm. you know, when we were winning the the league, there was, it was basically just us and Man Man U were the two big teams in the league And then slowly, you know, money started getting invested, started changing a little bit and it became, or I guess Liverpool could be included in that. Sorry, any Liverpool fans. Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) But like, it's changed now where there really is realistically eight teams fighting for four spots, which was definitely not the case earlier on. And of those eight teams, for sure, four of them were spending more money than we are. And I would guess probably about six without looking at the number are spending more money than we are. And, but the, um, I
0: don't know if the argument can be made that we're not spending money. Yeah. I, I think you look at like what the transfers have been. It's, there's been money spent.
1: I mean, there's been money spent, but I mean, the, statistically, you can do a very direct correlation between money and transfer window and placement in the Premier League. They've done studies mm-hmm. on it. It is actually, unfortunately, a true. That's it's why modern football sucks in a lot of ways. Uh, like you can buy titles. That's why Man City's right. the top of the league, uh, and. So, and, but my point more is that it, it's just, it, it's far more competitive than it was. Mm-hmm. Oh, sh- I just hit my computer while talking. This has been a bad, very <laughs> bad computer day.
0: <laughs> it just, you're just flinging the beer off of it. Yeah. It's Ooh. all good. <laughs> uh, but like it's
1: just a far more competitive league than it was five years ago, even. And I think that's a reality we have to really get to base with that. You just can't count on making Europe because that's going to be competitive. And the other side of it is like like, without that type of investment, you have to really invest in coaching, infrastructure, and patience, you know? what you can't make up with dollar bills. You're going to have to make up with, with coaching, with just being patient and trusting the process. And I think that's, I don't know, it's in short supply because it sucks in the, in the medium and the short term. I mean, this wasn't, as I said, a year I'm going to look back with fondness with, you know? mm-hmm
0: we've had a, a season and, and a half of of weirdness without without fans um with several you know depressed transfer windows uh how much of this do you chalk up to that uh, coronavirus aspect of things and how much of this is the growing pains of a new coach and you know where do those things meet in in, in your mind
1: well I mean I think that you can. Uh, chalk a lot of it up to this being a weird season. I being there's been no rest in soccer in this whole mm. soccer world for mm. quite a bit. It's players playing, going from being locked down for several months to going to playing nonstop, and including through this season and into the Euros, which I feel sad for the players playing the Euros because they're just getting no break. I think there, there's some of that. You could see definitely. Uh, I don't know if it was, I can point out an Arsenal player, but in just general soccer, when I was watching it, you could see a lot of players just wearing out, being tired. Um, so I think that's there. And yeah, without fans, I think that's always weird. There, it, it was a very interesting statistic that this year, the away teams have won more games than any time in Premier League history or English soccer hit first divisions of history. So there's like that by right, like 17 games. So like there's definitely the loss of home field advantage, which could play into some things. But I I think you can't get around the fact that there was definitely some growing pains. I think there's been some questionable decisions by Arteta that, you know, just goes down to learning. And I think he, the nice thing about Arteta is I think he's admitted it as much as anybody when he's made a mistake. And it it was, I, I don't want to use the word risk, but it is the, the part of having a first time manager that, we just have to accept is that they're going to make these mistakes. They have, they, he hasn't significantly coached a significant team. So, but yeah, so, I mean, I think it's a blend. I think it's a crutch to put it all on a weird season, but I think it's played a part in it to be the short answer. The uh, too long didn't read answer.
0: (laughs) Right. Um, and there's one more, I think, uh, narrative that has cropped up this season and it is a, Kind of a funny one at its uh, most conspiratorial level, but talking about how there is a a, a bias or a, a cabal out to get Arsenal in the form of bad refereeing and bad VAR calls, uh, it, it certainly played a role in how our season played out. Especially considering, uh, you know, two point difference could have been a game changer as far as our uh, end of season results. Uh, but like how, how much of that plays a part in your mind as how this uh, season went. Like to, to me, I think a couple, a couple results going differently because of calls like that makes a huge difference. Uh, but what do you, what do you think?
1: Yeah. Um- I'm I'm definitely going to say that there were some really, really bad calls. Do not get me wrong. I still talk about the Louise call once an episode. And I think I will to live my <laughs> grave. Like I I I think there's been some bad calls. I think there's some very sub substandard refereeing in the league. I think VAR is garbage, and that's across the board, whatever league you watch. Like I, if you're a Sounders fan, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh So there's there's that. I think that certain coaches can have certain effects, and certain teams do get better calls. That I think you know, back in the day when you had Sir Alex Ferguson, you definitely Fergie time was a real thing. I think uh, Mourinho had a way of playing mind games with refs that would have influenced calls. I think uh, at certain points, the way Arsenal plays means that certain referees won't give the calls that they probably should give as far as being an evil cabal or like some sort of conspiracy theory. I, I don't think it cuts that way. I just don't see it. I watch a lot of soccer and the, what you can say is that there is often a lot of bad calls and they all cut all ways. And at the end of the day, for me, if you can't get over one or two bad calls a game, and that's what it is. If you, if you can't overcome that, like you still don't deserve to win. Like, (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, uh, so it's just my opinion is like, it, it, it gets frustrating at the, in the moment, but I don't, I, I, I can't see a cabal. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't even understand where the, uh, why it's not like Arsenal has been like winning the league for years and we needed to take them down a peg. Like I, I wouldn't like, you'd have to go deep down a rabbit hole to find a good excuse to why there would be this cabal.
0: Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't buy that that particular aspect of it, but I, I, I I'm frustrated thinking back on how many games were decided and, and influenced heavily by these game or by these calls. So I, I it is interesting to look back and think, well, the this call here and that call there go our way, and all of a sudden we're you know. We could be in a Champions League spot. We could. We were that close, you know, a couple wins, and we were right in the mix. Um, that's the frustrating part of it. But I think VAR and bad refereeing aside, you could look back at any season and point to instances where if things had gone our way and, or had gone a different way, our season would be very di- uh, very different overall. You know, little injuries, this or that this entire sport is a game of very small margins. And if you can chip away at those, um, those issues, the things that you can control, that's how you find stability and, and, and and fix the um, somewhat rut that we've been in. I think it's like, those are things that I think Arteta is trying to identify and, and fix so that, um more often than not those calls are going your way or they're not affecting you and your game plan and your psyche and all these things like there's lots of these these little these little things that go wrong can definitely chip away at a team and and make them play worse overall like these these do have ripple effects and um, you know, suspensions and, and injuries and all these things play significant roles in how a season plays out. It's just, it's part of the game. It's what we, we, we love it. We hate it. it. It's what keeps us entertained. Um, if it all went perfectly, it would be boring to watch. So, um, some of it, you just have to take and understand that's what what it is, it is what it is, um, but I think the, the way that Arteta finds stability, the way that this team gets itself back on the right track is by eliminating the things that are going against them that they have in their control. And that's, that's finding ways to take control of games and to really um, dominate other teams so that these, these situations don't um, derail your season. You know, like the, the, the call against Louise doesn't matter if you find another goal in that game you know that's that's that was it it wasn't like we got blown out it was one goal and so you know blowouts aside this season there were several games that were one goal losses that could have been you know a few points here and there and that's that's the frustrating part when you look back more to me than the bad calls is just the amount of games that we lost by a goal or just couldn't find a goal when we absolutely needed it you know with the uh Europa League situation. You know, it, this team has kind of let themselves down more than they've been let down by outside factors.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's also true that they, you know, we watch more Arsenal games than any other team, you know, mm-hmm. and we are also watching those games with rose, uh, tinted glasses or, you know, red and white tinted glasses, I should say. Right. And, uh, I, I think if you followed any team, you, when you talk to their supporters, they're always going to complain about the refs. I think there could... I mean, I think there could be a valid argument for raising the standards of refereeing. Although if, uh, I read a really great book that talked had a section about like you know what it takes to become a referee. And it's actually a really difficult physical thing to do, plus learning all the laws of the game. Plus, it turns out that most people don't like referees, so it's actually really hard to recruit people to be referees, especially with the abuse that they get, which I always try... I try and keep in mind after game and take a breath and realize that it's, it's a hard job and not everyone wants to do it and, and that sort of thing. But uh, I just, uh, I don't, I don't see it as any we're we're going through anything more difficult than any other team really. At the yeah. End of the
0: I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast, but at, at, at one point I, I was convinced by a friend of mine that, uh, you know, refereeing is fun and it's a great way to make some, some side money. And so I took the refereeing course. I thought, hey, why not? I like I like this sport. I want to yeah. learn more about it. Why not get get deeper in and 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 see if this is actually as fun as he says? And uh, I took the course, and I did two games. And the second game, I it was it was like a step up. It was I think middle middle school girls, mm-hmm. and. It was brutal. It was brutal. It was, it was much faster pace. Uh, and you know, I was just, uh, I was just a line, you know, I I was just holding up a flag, calling out of bounds, calling corners, not making heavy decisions by any means, but those girls are ruthless. Those parents are ruthless. (laughs) That's that's not even like hardcore fans. That's just, you know, it gets, it only gets worse from there. Yeah. Um, and I, I was, I was done. I was like, it's not, you can't pay me enough to do this. It's too stressful. <laughs> yeah.
1: My, my first job, uh, when I was in high school was actually, I was a roller hockey referee for intramural, uh, roller hockey at the Y. <laughs> so it was like literally, like literally they didn't keep official score. It was like, <laughs> it was like the lowest, uh, jeopardy type of game. And I remember multiple times parents flipping out at me and I'm like I'm yeah. just a high school student man like this is my first job yeah. I'm just making sure the kids aren't hitting each other with sticks over their heads and like I had one uh, coach I remember took all the extra goalie equipment and just started dumping it on the field for a call <laughs> I made and I you know I mean, who knows I probably made the wrong call but like <laughs> you know so it it is a tough job and I get it but we should have expectations on the other side of things that they, you know, it is a professional job and these are important decisions, but like also we should also remember to take it, take a breath and realize that like, these are human beings trying to make the best call that they can.
0: Yeah. Because of what I'm really clamoring for to fix the refereeing situation is fans to get in there and, and be loud and be heard and influence the game in Arsenal's favor. Because I really do think some of those calls that were called against us might not have been had, mm-hmm. Or you know, it, it, it. We could have calls go go against us because of opposing fans too. I mean, I, I I like that element of things, but I also like how it feels like that it's like a, a check on the bad calls somehow. Like it, yeah. it, it washes out a little bit more when you have fans involved
1: yeah and if you if you've read any like writings on uh that referees make after they're a referee, they'll never say, well, they're a referee, but after they're a referee, they'll always say that like hearing the fans yelling at least plays a part in their decision making, even if it's like, How it not?
0: yeah that's a lot that's a that's a lot of sound coming at you. It, it, exactly. at least makes you think about things like mm, maybe the way they're reacting is making me think maybe I got that run wrong. Yeah, exactly. you know just add that seed of doubt.
1: So yeah, hopefully next year we'll have more fans in the stadium safely and it'll, uh, we'll start affecting things positively.
0: I, I hope so. Uh, I think there's, there's one more aspect I want to talk about this season. When, and I, I think we'd be, um, you know, we can talk about all the on-field stuff all we want. Um, but we cannot forget the role that ownership has played and, and the, the, the super league, the European super league and that, that drama that played out, um, just before the end of the season. Um, now that we're all past, past it to, for the most part, I think there's still some, um, legal issues that need to be sorted out and, and punishments that will be doled out. If, if at all, who knows a lot of this stuff just gets swept under the rug or somebody pays some exorbitant fee and then it goes away. Um, but you know what? What does what that? What does that leave you with uh, at the end of at the end of all of it? Like I, I think there's just just fill me in on how you feel about it. I guess <laughs> at this point,
1: it's a really hard question for me because, like, I. I'm not a big, a big fan of modern football in general. I'm not a big modern soccer fan. I don't and I've, I know I've opined on this, and I probably have a more radical view than a lot of people about it, which is like, I just don't like the, uh, the way money is flooded in. Da, da da, and I think in a certain respect, I don't know if there is a good owner anymore. Mm. You know, I mm. actually when I was watching the Europa League. And uh, you know you're talking uh, uh, Villarreal's a uh, owner. It's actually kind of cool. He's the owner of a tile company. That's a local owner, and he invested smartly. I mean, yeah, he's a billionaire or whatever. But like, I mean, the t- town itself is only fifty thousand people. But it's his hometown, and he invested his money into his favorite soccer team, and they won the Europa League and are going to be in the Champions League. And like, you know, they're doing it right. And that's the the, the ideal setup as far as the rest of the world how it's set up my my lingering question is do we get better than the cronkies cron- 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 you know what i mean like uh, who would your ideal owner be because a realistic owner not ideal owner but who would your realistic owner be because like you have to balance staying competitive with not being international war criminals which the top three teams in the league are all international war criminals. So, or no, no, no. That's an exaggeration. Please don't sue us. Uh, but like, you know, they have very strong human rights issues and at least the con- Cronkies don't question mark.
0: Uh, they're tied to Walmart, right? Yeah, so I exactly. mean, it's yeah. questionable human rights issues right there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, to answer your question, I don't know that there is a perfect owner you're right. I mean, I think everybody's flawed to some degree and I think money, more money, more problems. Right. So, (laughs) um, I think the flaws, the flaws run deep. Um, but yeah, I, I go back and forth on the Cronkies and whether we'd be better off with somebody else. Um, it's, you know, looking at like the Danny Oak thing and, and the, uh, idea of new ownership is good in in theory just because it would shake things up. But when that settles, what are you left with? You know, sometimes it's better to deal with the devil, you know, and uh, at least we know what we get out of the Cronkies and it's stable. Um, We're not for all the uh, losses. There's no concern that Arsenal financially is going to fail. I think at the end of the day, they will figure out a way to keep the lights on. And um, I guess the frustrating part is the way that they go about doing that feels very cold and detached. And like when you're asking players to take pay cuts and firing people and taking loans out to keep things going and you're worth billions of dollars, that's a problem. I think that's a, a an optics problem. It's a PR problem and they have not figured out their messaging. They've not figured out how to talk to fans. They have not done enough to make those decisions make sense. And I'm not saying they have to justify every financial decision that that they have to, um, you know, break the bank and dump a ton of money in and, and do poor deals just to, and I say poor deals, just like I, 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 don't want them to just go out and spend big transfer money just to do it. I, I think the thing that we as fans should understand by now is that you have to be smart with your money. You cannot just go spend on any old player and and make it work. So I think if you're gonna if you're gonna care about sustainability, if you're gonna care about um, keeping this team afloat and taking it to the next level. You have to be smarter with how you spend the money that you do have. And that, that goes from who you hire at the top all the way down. And so I think that's the the thing that they have to fix is all this investment needs to be done better and smarter. And, uh, I don't, I don't care who comes in and makes those investments. It just has to be done in a better way.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, the other thing I point out is at this point, as I said, like I one owner is as good as the next if if we're not going to be in like a uh, a wholly different world. but I think mm-hmm. there's something that we can agitate for as fans, which is just more fan involvement in the running and the ownership of the club and what that whatever that means, at least having fans have a voice and letting the ownership know that you know we are the reason the club exists and I think, if we can figure out some sort of ownership configuration. I mean, I, I'd, ideally it would be the Bundesliga model with a 50 plus one fan ownership, but there's a lot of hurdles towards that. Uh, but uh, just, you know, having some sort of fan involvement, having a, a seat on the board. I know that there's been a lot of talk of different clubs putting a fan seat on the board, which is run you know through the, uh, uh, the official fan uh, supporters, organizations and things like that which could be a solution to it. And, and that sort of thing. Because I I think that would be the most significant change that we could make to the ownership more than whatever billionaire owns us next week, you know?
0: Right. And I think at this point, there has to be an acknowledgement that the fans matter. It, 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 we have literally seen what happens if you play soccer in a bubble and like if if you play the game and there's nobody there to watch it, there's nobody there to support, it is an empty shell of what it should be. And fans matter. Fans matter with have the um the the, the ticket sales, the concessions, the um the the gear, all of this stuff matters to the bottom line. And so and just- to, to to
1: go ahead Sorry, just not just the bottom line though. It's also the the soul and the spirit of the club. You know, it's like yes. fans matter because it's not just because we buy uh, jerseys or we uh, buy hot dogs at the stadium. Not, I don't even know if Arsenal has hot dogs, uh, but uh, but that they the, the fans are the the heart and soul of the club. And if they're not there, it's just a bunch of people kicking the ball around. You know,
0: right? And I think like the the thing that matters to the owners is not the heart and soul of the team. Like, that's not speaking their language. They don't get that. But I mean, if you are talking about what they do care about, then at least appease the fans because they are the ones that are going to make sure that your coffers are full. If that's what matters to you at the end of the day, if, if finding sustainability and even profit from this team matters to you, and that's your driving force over the heart and soul of the team, then give the fans what they want. Like stop, stop beating around the bush. Get the fans involved as much as possible, and stop holding them at arm's length. I think that's that is the problem. Is like that, they, they they want the fans, but they want them over here, away from them, away from the team. Just just w- watching and being involved from afar is exactly where they would like uh, the Arsenal fans to be. And I think until you uh, until you can figure out how to uh, involve the fans on an intimate level it's never going to really work and really gel, uh, no matter how much money you you pump into the team, it'll always feel like it's just, um, fan service to some degree (laughs) and not in a way that, that not in a positive way, but more of a superficial, uh, here's your cookie. Now go (laughs) Yeah. like, just, just move on and leave us
1: alone. I mean, that's my biggest fear in this off season is that, uh, the uh, cronkies are just going to give us a big cookie or maybe even ice cream cake. Uh, like just like mm. some very big present <laughs> that uh, will go like, All right, here's your you know big signing. Now, forget about the uh, the the uh, whatchamacallit league, the super league or whatever they're calling it, and right. uh, forget about all these bad things that have happened. You have your signing, and I think that unfortunately would appease a large section of the fan base. I think a lot of people are like, What have you done for me? in the last five minutes type of thing. And so I think we really do need to hold on in a little bit of what happened with the super league and why we are angry and remember that it's not just a one-time fix or it's not just small gestures or even large fake gestures Mm -hmm. that we should be holding out for something a little bit bigger.
0: Yeah. I think it, it keeps coming back to this question of like, we care. Do you, do you mm-hmm. care about this team, this sport, this um venture as something more than just uh a spreadsheet with with dollars and cents, you know, like it it is important to us for more than just the sport. It it go, runs deeper for so many more people and it is um it is it, it is part of our lives to a degree that I don't think has been acknowledged or even understood by ownership. And I don't yeah. think that they, for all these sports teams that they, they own, they don't really seem to understand fans at all. Yeah. And that runs across the board. Cause it ter- ter- I I feel like one of the biggest sins you can commit in sports is to tear a team away from the fans that yeah. support them. And they did that in St. Louis by taking the Rams to LA. And we've seen that happen here with the Sonics and like I, the idea that uh, that the same owners that did that own Arsenal irks me. Like it bothers me. I have yeah. a hard time rectifying that, but I try to compartmentalize and, and keep <laughs> the, that. That was like that was an NFL decision, not a not a Premier League decision. Mm-hmm. But any t- any owner that is willing to do that for money, ultimately, they don't know. What it means to be a fan, I don't think they can understand.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, at, at the very end of the day, they they aren't they're they're temporary. Like I was always say, like players come and go, coaches come and go, and owners come and go. The, what's left is the club, you mm-hmm. know. And what we have to understand is that you know they're never going to care as much as we do. It's just it's it's definitely about keeping them honest and keeping them in check and hoping that they don't destroy your team. <laughs> you know. I guess
0: Oh, sorry. Going back to your question, what is the, the team what is the owner that I would want to get? And that's somebody who cares as much as I do. And I don't know how many owners can devote that much time, how many billionaires have that much time to devote to a sports team, how many billionaire Arsenal fans there are out there. There's definitely I mean Danny Oak being one of them. There's some guy in Africa that keeps talking about wanting to buy the team. You know, there's player. There are people out there with lots of money who care about this team probably more than the, the Cronkies. And I think if I if if I were to choose, I would, as an experiment at least, want to know what it would be like to have owners that actually love this team.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like. Uh... I, but I think I think it is a, a nostalgic thing that, you know, it was a, a thing in the 30s or like it's how football in England or soccer in England started was with the business owners that like bought the teams for the workers to play in. And then mm-hmm. you had like the millionaire local business owner turned good running the team for their like own thing. And I think the Premier League has kind of outrun that. So now you're just looking at multinational billionaires for the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And it, it it really is the part of the premier league that when I, the more I discuss it, the more I'm like, I hate the premier league and I hate soccer. <laughs> like the more we start discussing about this high end finance part of it, it just, is, it feels so gross and disgusting to me. Like I try and pretend I, I don't understand it when I just go game to game, you know?
0: Yeah. But I do feel like you, the, the heart and soul of the sport survives even beyond that, even with all the money that gets poured into it, the soul survives. And it's still, there's still some reason we would come back to this, to, to deal with the, the joy and the punishment. It's not like when you're in the moment, when you're watching the games, you're not thinking about the money. You're not thinking about all that stuff. That's kind of a byproduct that happens behind the scenes and then rears its ugly head once in a while. But at the end of the day i think you're when you're watching a game and 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 just trying to enjoy it it that stuff falls away and you can and you can kind of spend 90 minutes not thinking about those things that that still exists no matter how much money gets poured into it
1: you know and i think the funny thing is i think Probably about seventy to eighty percent of the fans actually don't get this involved in ownership and the ideas of that. It's it, it really mm-hmm. is kind of a a smaller subset that are the uh, much more invested fans. But the sure. it's why the Super League is was an interesting example because I think that was one thing that kind of crossed over the whole fandom, mm-hmm. where everyone, even people who aren't, I mean, I bet you there's a whole section of the the fan base that doesn't even know who owns Arsenal. I, I would not be surprised right. if there's a large group of people that don't know the full ownership of Arsenal. Sure, but the uh, having the super league crossover where even average fans were upset about it, it shows you that there is i don't know some hope I guess for fans to be more involved, yeah,
0: so we talked for a while. Do you want to talk about where we're headed, or do you want to save that for another day? What What do you think?
1: Let's save for another day. We have a, a couple of fan... Uh, we questioned fans, I guess, and there is one fan question. So let's uh, let's hit up those before we... Uh, before Sounds we good. All
0: right, so when we get back from the break, we asked you guys who you, your player of the season was and who you want to get the hell out of Arsenal in the soft season. So when we come back, we'll talk about who you think should get out as quickly as possible. (laughs) All right. So stick with us. We'll be back in a minute. All right. Welcome back from the break. I just spit like crazy. That's how (laughs) we're going to start this, start this thing. Um, we did a little impromptu uh, survey of some of our uh, fellow fe- fellow <laughs> fellow Arsenal fans. <laughs> I can't talk; it's, it's yeah. all it's all falling apart. Uh, our fellow Arsenal fans and asked you guys who your player of the season was and uh, which player you'd most like to see leave the team in this offseason. season. Uh, and I think it, it was a pretty. Uh, clear-cut answer for both of both of those questions um, the majority of you for the player of the season said uh, Sokka which is not unexpected not too surprised there I think most people would, would say that I would not say that Ooh, interesting space I the the player uh, there was an honorable mention for tyranny in there as well, but uh, the player I that nobody mentioned that I would have put on this list and maybe put at the top of my list uh, what was uh, was Pepe.
1: Ooh, that is extremely spicy.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I I love what Saka brings to the team. I love what he does. But in terms of shouldering this team, in terms of being a, a valuable player to this team, an MVP type player, uh, Saka was great, but Pepe produced like the numbers don't lie.
1: I mean, that's that's interesting, and I hope, like, I, I want you to elaborate a little bit more <laughs> with two questions, which is that, like, the numbers don't lie, but in a way. Pepe is expected to be doing different things in Saka. I, I wouldn't. Yes. I wouldn't say that soccer is a goal scorer where Pepe we're expecting goals, and that's where your numbers. I assume. What are the other numbers you? Well, make?
0: they're playing. They're playing the same positions though. There's, there's, you know, if we're talking about it, does our does our midfield do it? Does it produce goals? and with with pepe you know you're looking at 10 goals with saka you're looking at 5 now saka does different things i get that they play the game differently but when it comes to production and what you got out of those those two players i say i'd say pepe was the more um improved this season and 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 put up the
1: numbers to show it so i mean and just because uh, I'm, I'm going to be playing Deadpool's advocate and I actually, <laughs> actually disagree a little bit with you on that. Which Okay. I But I, I would say that Pepe, yeah, scored more goals, but I think, yeah, they played the same position, but they were asked to be doing different roles in the position, which I know is... Are you un- saying
0: Saka was not asked to go out and score?
1: No, I, not in the same way that Pepe was. Pepe was, I think, playing much more of a true winger-style... Going in, going at players, and finishing the ball—that's his expectation, right? Mm-hmm. Are you saying that Sokka was asked to score goals? Are you saying no. that that was his primary role as a, uh, a I, midfielder was to be a goal-scoring midfielder? Yes, because I
0: think really? if you're ta- if you're looking at if, if you're looking at who we put to set up guys, I would put Emil Smith and Odegaard above Sokka. So I don't look at Sokka as our primary setup player. I look at him to try to get on the end of balls. And, and make things happen. Now, whether he sets other guys up more than you know, scoring on, on his own, I think that was a part of his game that actually was lacking this season. His finishing was not there. And I, I don't blame him for that, but uh, there was a lot of shots that, or opportunities that did not go his way.
1: I, I it, It's just funny because it's... Uh, it's I, I wasn't expecting this debate, so I'm still trying to like process <laughs> it. I'm a slower thinker than a lot of people. Uh, I just, I think uh, I could say you said the word uh, Pepe was the most improved player, and I think I could get behind that. I think I could I could definitely uh, say that like the last seven, eight games of the season, I think Pepe was you know getting better and maybe among the best players on the on the team. I just can't say for a full season because you talk about like chances missed and uh, opportunities missed. Pepe got a lot more than Sokka, to be honest with it, and I think uh, he missed a lot of those chances too. Up until like a la- wait the last seven games, would you say? Would yeah. You, like before those la- last seven games, would you? If we didn't finish those last seven games, there's another pandemic and the like, season stopped. Would Pepe even be in this conversation?
0: Well, actually I, there's another aspect of this that I'm leaving out as well, is that there is there is no uh Saka is not on the score the, the the score sheet when it comes to Europa League where Pepe had six goals in that as well. So when you're looking at our Europa League campaign, Pepe carried it for us. So I you know, we're talking at 16 goals. 16 goals. goals between the two the two competitions. To to
1: Saka's five. I'm just. I'm, and so I'm not, when you're
0: talking about our season where we needed goals, Pepe's our guy.
1: I'm just not buying that the uh, the goals are the end all and be all of the uh, the the explanation of the player. And I and as I understand that they play in similar positions, Pepe or uh, Saka does a lot more. Different midfield work. It's just a different role because, like, uh, Saka tracks back and does his defensive work far more than Pepe does.
0: But that's where Pepe's improvement comes in because I think by the end of the season, even he was doing that better, as better than Sokka? better than Saka necessarily, no. but better than than the Pepe we saw last season. I mean, I mean, and I think he had the offensive production to to balance that out. I think, to me, that says I don't know. I I, I just feel like that that is a player that should be in more discussions as our, our player of the season, and he's not even being talked about.
1: I I will buy that. I will 100% go with you on that. That I think uh, most improved player, I will 100% go with Pepe. I think uh, last seven games, he may have been the best player on the team. I, I'm He's a player that I'm super excited to see he, if he can carry his form through next year. Mm-hmm. But I will... I'm gonna pivot this conversation to if Saka if Pepe's better than Sokka, I'm gonna say that Tyranny had a better season than than Pepe, hundred percent, and was far more consistent, had his injury, but other than his injury, maybe one. I'm trying to think back of any really bad games. I think there was one in there, but other than that, I think if you're talking about a full season, the from you know, when did was it when did we start again? August these months blend together.
0: Yeah, it was a weird start time too. Um, summerish it from summerish
1: yeah. to summerish. <laughs> for the, the the full season, I, I'm going to say Tierney is much more consistent and would probably be a better, m- more likely shout for player of the season than uh, than Pepe in my book.
0: Hmm. I do like Tierney, but I don't know if I'd put him as. Player of the season. I'm just... Like, I I, 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 I would, like, just looking at um, our defense, I think he's obviously our best player. I can't think of anybody who's even performed as consistently on the defense. I don't know anybody who got as much playing time. I mean, he's he just plays all the time. Like, we just had nobody else to play that position other than Cedric, so... It was uh, all tyranny all the time, as long as he was available. Um, so, yeah, I think defensively, tyranny wins the award. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel I, I don't hate Saka. I, I make it sound like I dislike Saka or something. I just feel like they, everybody's so excited about this nineteen-year-old who's coming to his own, and that's it's great. It's a great thing to have a player to be excited about. But I I find it almost more exciting that we we spent $72 million on a player or pounds or whatever we spent on him. And this season, I finally saw glimpses of that valuation or why we would spend that much money on that, that player. And when you're looking at a team that just was not finding ways to score, and I get like four goals in the last a uh, couple games definitely inflated his numbers, but Europa League was really just on the back of Pepe. He's he was scoring beautiful goals on that. So, I mean, I, sorry, I, didn't I, I don't know. I I just feel like that he is not getting enough credit in the conversation about what the what an impact player he was this this year, and and especially if you're talking about improvement over previous seasons, he, I think he has. Arteta has found a way to get the best out of him. Yeah, at this
1: point, point. and I do 100% agree with you that he's been kind of under talked this last bit. That like what he what he's contributed to the team this year has been a positive contribution. He's going better, and I I really am looking forward to the fact that I think he is kind of hitting his stride right now. And it's almost like the end of the season came too early for him. If he, it, like, mm-hmm. I think he could have kept the streak going for a couple more games. Um, I think it might be a little bit of an exaggeration to say he carried the the team through the uh, the Europa League. I think there are a lot of other contributors to to that, and I, I I I have a hard time saying the player that scores the most goals is the better player and the most more contributive player. Six
0: goals and four assists. I mean, yeah. it was it's not nothing. I, there's it's not only nothing. so many goals that we got in Europe.
1: <laughs> it's <laughs> not nothing, but I, I, I do have a hard time, like just making that the quantification of it. Uh, but I am 100% willing to see that he, I think, I, I'm definitely going to be willing to say he had a good season. I, I think that's, in my mind, an easy call to make. And I, and yeah, I, I just have a hard time. And I, I I want to acknowledge that Pep or Sokka, I keep on doing it. But I, I want to acknowledge that Sokka also had a great season. Like yes. as, and and he played a great and you know, we talk about the turnaround. It wasn't putting Pepe in the team that helped turn the season around when we talk about that Chelsea Chelsea turnaround. Yeah. It, it was Smithrow and Sokka coming in and getting those starting minutes that really turned the season around. Absolutely. So I think that's where you can start making the call for maybe it is Sokka as player of the season. Although it's kind of weird to have these type of things because it's a team game as well, (laughs) there's a lot of different metrics you can use.
0: I'm gonna throw one more aspect into this for Pepe for my Pepe vote. Also in the Europa League best eleven. Yeah. So just you know, just throwing that out there.
1: Yeah. Okay. Best Uh,
0: eleven in all Europa League. (laughs) If he
1: only scored a goal in that last game. If only. Only uh, our
0: team can score, and we needed them to. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, and I, I would love to hear other like people's uh, response to this. Like, th- this is kind of like a, a spicy take that I'd love to continue the discussion <laughs> with other people because it's definitely blown my mind. And I might have a different opinion in a uh, in a day or two when I uh, kind of chew it over in <laughs> my head. Because he yeah, was definitely I'm, not not on my radar at the, as player of the season. Yeah, I, I,
0: I surprise even myself.
1: <laughs> but I, I just looked at those numbers and I was like,
0: "Wait a second! Why Saka's getting all the love? But what about this guy?"
1: Well, was he Why the lead goal Why scorer? Why not him? I, I don't have the stats up on me. He wasn't the lead goal scorer for the team, was he? Ah, uh, let me pull that up here. I mean, all competitions he might, if you he, if you he include the Europa League, but it might be Lacazette, L- Lacazette yeah. at thirteen. So uh, for going, the Premier League
0: Lacazette had s- 3 in Europa League. So
1: going by your metrics then Lacazette is player of the season, right? No, well,
0: but going by my metrics they're tied cuz Lacazette <laughs> had 16 and and Pepe had 16.
1: So would you say that they're uh, they're both a uh, player of the season tied?
0: Mm, no, because I think I ex- my expectations for goal scorers Your strikers should be scoring that many. I think from our midfield, Mm. we got we had nothing. Like nobody else is scoring at that level, so I think we need. Like as far as what this team needs, I expect Lacazette. I expect Aubameyang to put up double digits. Pepe, when nobody else is scoring in the midfield that is absolutely what this team needs.
1: I mean, but I expect Pepe to be putting in goals. That's why we bought him. Yeah,
0: but he's doing what we like, what, what, what we need him to do. Like, I can't say this, like nobody else is producing at that level in the midfield, like not even close. So like, I, I get the, I, I get that Sokka is doing great things. I get that he is making strides, but that side of his game is not there yet. It's not even close to that. And I, I expect he will get there. I expect he will be a goal scorer and be, and, and be a good creator. But that, like, it is not something I would even, um, I, I don't know. I, I, it's like, you can't just be a good dribbler and not have the end product. I think he has the potential no, to be, the, I disagree be that. that. I'm going to. But well, they, you can dribble have... into the corner and make nothing of it. Like no, it only no, makes no, no. it only works if you have if you can find a way to make that into something, whether that's a, an assist or a goal. It has to. It has to turn into something.
1: I, I love this because I think this is the biggest disagreement we've had <laughs> <on the> podcast. <laughs> but I, I I think at the end of the day, it's going to be a disagreement. We can't. Fully do because I'm I'm just I I can't buy that goal scoring is the end all and be all and the statistic that uh
0: no but I'm not saying a... that just goal scoring I'm saying goals assists like it, dribbles are not the end it, it's it's like he can do a lot of things and I get that there are intangibles that don't show up on a score sheet but then what and what... I get that I get like I love Odegaard he's not he didn't do barely anything on the on the score sheet he had like one goal but uh, it, it's I expect different things from him even than I expect from Sokka. I expect Sokka to be more of a, of a creative force as far as he's going he's gonna to make things happen for himself. And he's going to make things happen for the people around him. The, I get that, that not every dribble, not everything is going to turn into something. But I just feel like he has not. He is, he is all potential right now. He is all about this. This thing that people are like, oh my gosh, look, he made it from the academy, and now he's playing in the first team, and he's doing really great, and that's where it ends. That's it. He's doing really great. I'm all for that, but I just don't know that he is – you can throw the team on his back and and say, this this season – would not have happened without Saka.
1: I think it, you 100% it, can because we go back again to what changed. No, because
0: you're looking at Emile Smith-Rowe and you're looking at Odegaard and you're looking at all these people that played around him. He's not the only person that did but, that. Whereas as it, an individual effort, Pepe was always going at it by himself. Yeah, he didn't did, need anybody.
1: But did he carry the team? Like when you No, look not, but I mean, you yeah, can't, yeah, it, at the there.
0: end of the day, nobody did. <laughs> nobody carried the team. That's not what the award is for. Yeah, for it, it kind of is though. Like it's
1: it, 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 Who made the biggest effect but on the season. Saka team. didn't do more to carry the team than 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 Pepe did. Yeah. I, I would say that Pepe had a big end of the season, but he didn't what what was I mean, like we can talk about the Europa League. I'm gonna chop that aside for a second, right? Okay. Because I think these are two separate discussions and this is getting a little heated. Like whew, <laughs> it might be the hot weather. <laughs> I, I'm just saying that like I mean if you take what three of those goals were against uh, Sheffield? An already oh. relegated Sheffield Several of those goals were against teams that were already relegated or at the very bottom of the league. <laughs> you know? And yeah, uh, but if you're
0: gonna take away from his goals, then you have to say, okay, well, Saka didn't score anything against Sheffield. You know, I mean created
1: like, against Chelsea. He had a great game against that Chelsea team. He <laughs> like that's what I'm saying is like Pepe was playing the whole season. Right? Yeah. And on and off when he wasn't getting red cards. Uh and him coming in and out. I didn't feel affected the team greatly, and this is—I mean—it's hard to because I'm, I'm not saying I Pepe. Think, I think I,
0: I, the team was better though when Pepe was was playing well. I mean, that's just it, the team was better it, when Salah like was, was playing be-
1: well. Like I like and I, I and as I say, I, I don't like I don't I'm, I'm maybe I'm just reading soccer wrong, but I never pegged him as a goal scoring midfielder. Is that like... I don't what,
0: know what he is then. Like what is, I, I mean, like I—is I, he just a? he's He's a so what midfielder. Is he? He's a passing he's a
1: midfielder. He's a passing a uh, possession based midfielder that can run up balls and help not necessarily even get first assist. like you ha- you have to understand there's like second assists and creating a passage as sure, a player sure and 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 what I would say, him.
0: yeah, but i I put him on the Neil Smith row level. I just don't like I don't know that he has established himself as anything yet. He's a, so much of a work in progress. I just don't know what to what he is yet. Has Pepe established himself? We know what he is. He's a goal scorer. He's going to go out and, and, and take on. he he's going to take on. He's going to take on teams and do and and dribble through through teams and find his way to the box. I that wouldn't put goal scorer
1: s- as his title yet. Like as I say, like seven games he, do not make 16 a sixteen goals. Season.
0: That's like that. I mean, nobody else is on that level except for Lacazette. He is at the top level of this team. I think you're discounting him way too easily. I think you're overcounting him way too easily. and I think that's where sixteen goals. I mean, and, and that's, a- that's our season. We don't have that many goals to to hinge on this season.
1: I'm not. So I don't have not the in front of me. I'm. And uh, when the goals are scored, I and I think what we we can say is that I do agree that Pepe is has shown that he. Is coming into being a great player and I think mm. I think if he can hold this form that he had for the last part of the season into next season I think it's going to be great and also Sokka <laughs> <laughs> was instrumental in in saving the season and I as well I'm excited to see him progress to the next season are those fair statements to say? Yes. And Tyranny's an awesome player.
0: Tyranny gets the honorable mention. in all conversations about prelier of the season.
1: I mean, I know we're running a little bit long. Do we have time for who we want to uh, kick out? I think it's going to be a quick conversation because it was pretty unanimous.
0: I, I fully agree with this, this, uh, decision here. And that's, that was William with the, the win or the loss as you might, (laughs) might put it. Can you make any argument for keeping him? Silenced. No, yes. no, I can't think of anything. And even the, like, um, Charles Allison mentioned that, uh, you know, he, he nobody's going to pay the money to take William off our hands. I beg to differ because MLS is stupid <laughs> and they will spend, they will spend money on him just oh. to get, just get
1: butts in seats. Oh, good God. I could totally see like Chicago, Columbus, uh, who else? Oh, Colorado. I could totally sure. see one of those teams. Well, I mean, Colorado's owned by the Cronkies, right?
0: Yeah, just shuffle them <laughs> around.
1: <laughs> oh, God, that'd be amazing to see how bad he is in the MLS, too. Like,
0: I don't He'd know. probably kill it. I mean, like it's right at his pace. I think his top That's speed true. is probably as fast as anybody in this league. I don't, I mean, I, I think the defenders that he would be going up against, he could probably make a meal of. Yeah. It'd
1: be a second coming. So Cronkies, send William to Colorado. I'm. I won't, Yeah, I wonder how that. Could you imagine? Yeah. That
0: doesn't sound that bad.
1: Yeah, you get a like. Sounds for like. like
0: paradise.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm
0: trying to talk this up so that well, if if William happens to hear this, he he thinks it's a good idea as well.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I mean, Charles <laughs> Ellison put out a uh, another name, which I think is a name near and dear to your heart. Which is a uh, Bellerin. He he, yeah. he would say he would get rid of Bellerin. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I
0: think his days are are done, unfortunately. Um, and I think if you're looking at the structure of the team, you know you've got positions of need, and if you've got a player that doesn't want to be here and can get you some money then it's time. And I think that's, that's all there is to it at this point. We have to be ruthless, as Arteta said. And um, Bellerin just has not been in the picture this season. And when he has, he hasn't looked like himself. And that might be up to him not wanting to be at Arsenal anymore or you know, just needing a new challenge, whatever it is. Uh, I don't think he's a bad player. I think he still has gas in the tank, just maybe not for this team. And I'm okay with that. I just think it's... It's not fun to watch him play poorly when I know that he's better than that. So I would much rather see him go somewhere else and have a good career than try to hold on to him. Um, And I don't think at this point Arsenal need to. I mean, I think that's that's a position that they can improve on. But worst case scenario, I think you can make a a a run at the next season with a a contingent of or you know a, a, a group of. Um, Chambers, Cedric, and maybe Ainsley, Ansley Maitland-Niles, and, and call that good, and, and, and focus your, um, efforts elsewhere, as far as the other positions, and, and put that Bellerin money to good use, assuming that there's some money to be spent out there.
1: Yeah, I may agree, and, you know, we're not. We're going to have a whole lot of time to talk about transfers, but it's just like for me, there are very few players that are on the not transferable list on the team, and Bellroom for me is not on that list. Like, I like him. I and you know, I've always had a soft spot for him. I like his off-field personality. I think he's actually mm-hmm. a, a really good person. Like, if you follow him off-field, he's like very involved in different things, like envir- the environment and things like that plus he's very fashionable like it's he's just a like he's a fun good person and i mm-hmm. always hate to be callous about those type of people but yeah if the offer is right i think it's it's it, it could be a good time to move on with him
0: yeah it's gonna be a tough transfer window because you, you know you say if the offer's right and i think our valuation of players is going to be far away from what people are willing to spend right now in this market um so you know we're gonna have to kind of take what we can get because we can't wait until their their numbers come or you know until their prices go back up. At this point, we gotta um, cut our losses and try to reinvest in players uh, to fill those those gaps in the team. And, and I, I think anybody who's who's on the edge, if if the right offer comes in, we gotta take it because there's. Um, there's not a ton of players we're going to get a lot of money for on this team. You know, anybody of quality, we're going to want to hold on to and anybody who's on the fringe, um, we'll we'll have to just hope that there are any offers come in, not just the right (laughs) offer. Definitely. All right. We've got one more question. Um, And we can probably just hit it pretty quickly because, um, to be honest, there's not a whole lot to talk about with this question, (laughs) which is interesting. Um, So Joe Robinson writes in and says, which Arsenal players do you think were unlucky not to make their national teams for the Euros? Uh, the The England squad in particular seems very competitive this year. So Tim you've got those those uh lineups pulled up in front of you tell me what's uh what's the deal with Euro, uh, the euros this year.
1: Well I mean I think uh the the if you want the quick answer and you can skip like 20 seconds of me talking is uh that no I think uh who got who was there was expected. I mean you have uh Leno, Tierney, Saka, uh Saka-Jaka and uh I am missing one. Why am I forgetting the I think that was just the four. No, that was the four. Yeah. So that was the four. Uh, I think the only person you could say maybe was like Smith Rowe, but again, I'm not a huge expert on the English national team. It's not the team I follow. They're so
0: deep. I think you'd have a tough time breaking in at this point.
1: Exactly. And you know, and other shouts are like, I mean, I don't think Lacazette's getting anywhere near the French national team, especially with, uh, uh, Benzema getting called back in, on. Mm -hmm. Suarez is not going to get make that Portugal team. Uh, the rest of our English players are nowhere near, like in Chambers. Like, they're not, <laughs> you know, like I love them both, but they're not getting anywhere near. Aris uh, Nelson, even, uh, Pablo Mari is getting nowhere near the Spanish team. So, yeah, the only maybe was Smith Rowe, but uh, I would have been surprised if he got picked. So, yeah, yeah,
0: and anyway, we have a lot of, um, African and South American players in the, at the moment as well. So I think that that also plays a part in the lack of hero um, players from our team. Like there's just, we, we've, we're a little more continental than just Europe. So
1: yeah. And, you know, it's a, uh, you know, a couple other teams that didn't make it. Like I, mean, I guess Odegaard, like technically is not our player and or we didn't make right. it. But uh, yeah. So it's a, uh, the simple answer is not really. I'm I was excited, or I'm happy for Saka to make the team because I'm sure it's good for him and it's good for motivation. The other side of me is I would kind of rather that he had like a nice off season, a couple months to rest, as opposed to playing an in international. But I don't think he's going to be playing a ton of games, so it might be good for him to keep sharp. So yeah,
0: I think it's great exposure, and like I think those, you know. I, we would talk about the the young players needing big game experience. I think that even just being there and get going through the preparation and seeing what other players are doing, um, just being around that level of of player can only help him level up his career a bit and make it, um, you know, when 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 Arsenal get to a big game, less intimidating, less less things he has to think about all these little little things that just help him be more comfortable in, in um, the type of player that he is and um, feeling like he, he's worthy of that level, that's, I think that's a huge confidence booster.
1: I think the uh, other big issue is that he's going to be in the same team as Harry Kane, so he's going to get a little bit spursiness on him that he's going to need to wash out really well. Yeah, don't touch that, Harry Kane. <laughs> Whoa, that's what she Whoa. said.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Save the X-rated stuff for the very end. <laughs> All right, well, we should call it there. We're we're losing our
1: minds at the end here. <laughs> it could be the uh, Imperial IPAs in the uh- yeah.
0: That's that's what really sparked my my Pepe fear uh, fury fear. don't mention the fear at the end of the episode that's never never a good sign um all right well with that we should probably check out for the night uh thank you all for listening to this much of the episode if you've made it this far you get you get all the fun um (laughs) Review and subscribe wherever you pick up your podcasts. If you're into the video thing and want to see us while you listen to us, uh, YouTube is the other place you can subscribe. West of North London is the name of the podcast. If you've listened this long and didn't know that, I don't know how you missed the top of the show. Wow,
1: <laughs> well, just, now.
0: Just reminding you, that's the name of the podcast. You can find us uh, under that name on, on YouTube because we don't have one of those nice... Fancy URLs yet, but someday, if you subscribe and and comment and tell other people to subscribe, we'll get one of those nice URLs, and YouTube will say you've made it in the world. <laughs> but not yet, not yet, I say. <laughs> I'm it. Yeah, no, I'm we, we better it.
1: close up quick before it gets <laughs> really out of hand.
0: Yeah. West of North London at gmail.com is where you can send your questions and if you want to follow us on Twitter we are at w of N London. Uh, send your questions in there as well uh, leave us a voicemail if you want to just talk to us and, and tell us your story or tell us know, how much you like Pepe send us a beer recommendation tell us how much you like Sokka Neil Smith-Rowe send us anything you want to talk about Anchor.fm slash west of north london slash message is where you can send us a voicemail. And we'd love to add your voice to our next episode. If you like our theme song, which you heard way back at the beginning when I said that this show is called West of North London, uh, Bobcat is the name of the band that, that did that song for us. And if you want to find their other work, you can go to their website. It's bobc.at. Their album No Course to Follow is there, plus much more, so go check them out there. And I'm calling it, that is so much more than we ever should give you. I think this is our longest episode ever. So,
1: see you at the as next always. Show. See you at the next Gun Show. <laughs> we
0: can't even do the outro right.
1: Yeah, this is what happens when we pass the one and a half hour mark. <laughs> it all falls apart. All right, bye. Bye. <laughs> Well, (laughs) we got through it. I should stop. Wait, are we still recording?